Okay, welcome back again. Welcome back of. again. It's good to have you with us. Yeah, we are continuing through First Timothy, um, narrow, getting sort of closing on the end of chapter five, but not quite there yet. Verse seventeen today. Um, th- this is really a section where I think Paul does give some very explicit leadership t- uh, tips, leadership thoughts to Timothy. Um, we'll probably just go through a couple verses today, but let me read these for you, and then we'll have some conversation. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of a double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the laborer deserves to be paid. Never accept any accusation against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may also stand firm in fear. So, a couple of things. One of the things, the reality of church is that a church is dependent upon its leaders, not only at the pastoral level, but at the elder level. In our system, we would call them elders. And Paul recognizes that here in sharing with Timothy, celebrate the elders who rule well. Let them be considered of honor, especially if they're preaching and teaching. Right, So this isn't necessarily about compensation, it's maybe more about celebration, but it is about lifting up those who rule, particularly who rule well. And the, the reason is very simple, that those people have a tremendous impact on the life of the church. Their leadership directly influences the health and the well-being of the church community and the congregation. And... um Paul is just simply pointing out to Timothy, make sure you commend those who lead well and take take opportunities to celebrate them when you can. Yeah, the uh, I actually went to seminary with uh, someone who was a, a friend uh, during that time who made a pretty passionate argument that the church uh, should not elevate leadership. Uh, and what he meant by that, if you pressed him, was things like salaries and things like, uh, you know, sort of formal institutional commendations, sort of those things, that those things shouldn't exist uh, because uh, that has a way of emphasizing the leaders over the whole, over over the gathered congregation. That's certainly a danger the church does need to be aware of. We, we are not a group of people who follows a Pied Piper. We are always seeking to uh, follow, to to essentially together lead one another towards Christ. You know, wherever uh, a beggar finds bread, they invite others to come as well, and that's really sort of the image of I think church leadership. But here we're we are really reminded, Clint, that there is a special good in church leadership when there is strong leadership that is Christ-centered, congregations are in the midst of that able to thrive. And uh, every church who's been in a season like that, or anyone who's been able to be part of a church community in a season like that, there's a gift there. There's also a real danger, Clint, when you're in a congregation on the reverse side, where maybe there is immoral leadership, or maybe there's moral lapses in leadership. Maybe, maybe it's just not the right leadership for the right time for the congregation. 
that can be incredibly destructive in the same way. So there is something worth recognizing that uh, lifting up the right leader in a in Christian community, uh, training and equipping and encouraging them to whatever task they've been called, whether that be what we think of as pastors, what I think the early church would have thought more of what we currently call lay leadership, the idea of elders, the idea of deacons, the, the people doing the ministries of the church, those people should be chosen carefully. And when they are serving the church faithfully, I think that they should know the gratitude of the whole community. Yeah, there's actually an interesting line in the ordination service for pastors. No, the, I'm sorry, the installation service. When a pastor is installed in a church, the congregation is asked questions. And one of the questions is, does the congregation promise to pay the minister fairly? And it's an interesting thing living on the other side of the fence because um, I, I've been pretty fortunate, Michael. I've not run into this too often. It hasn't really been a part of my professional story. But I have friends in other places who it, it, the church just kind of assumes, well, they should want to do that. They should want to come and open the church every time someone haunts me. They should want to clean up on Sundays. They should want to do funerals for free. They should want to do weddings for free. And there is that line there of making sure the church doesn't abuse its leaders by taking them for granted. Um, again, I, I'm not putting myself in that boat. That hasn't been my experience. But I know that it happens. I know that the church has done that. And so um, Paul, aware of that, seems to say, you know, hey, this scripture, don't muzzle the ox. That that means, by the way, just let the ox eat while it's trampling grain. If it wants to eat some of the grain, let it do that. That's the least it should get. And pay the laborers. They deserve to be paid. So good leaders deserve to be honored because they have such an impact on the church. And, you know, it, it feels a little awkward saying that as people who sit in the pastoral office, but that that's the idea here, too. Uh, avoid a situation in which leaders are not appreciated or worse, not recognized for doing well. A and that is a danger to the church. Then we kind of switch a little bit. Never accept accusation against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So uh, this recognizes the inevitable but unfortunate reality that people in churches are people. Even leaders in churches are people. They are prone to make mistakes. They are vulnerable to temptation. They do get it wrong. We mess up, even church leaders. We all do. And so this is a recognition of that fact, but it's a balancing of that to say, don't let a single person lead the congregation to assumptions about a leader. Make sure those accusations, make sure those issues are well-founded, well-documented. Um, th this, I think, is fairly important that there be—it's interesting that, you know, nearly 2,000 years ago, the idea here is to find a balanced way forward in the midst of possible wrongdoing. To, to find a process that is fair both to those who may have suffered at the hands of a leader and to the leader who may be falsely accused, and that the, even the early church had to kind of balance these realities. And um, I don't know that we take this as policy, Michael. I mean, I don't think this exists as sort of a guide for many churches, 
but it's interesting that it recognizes a problem that every church is still dealing with and trying to balance in our own day. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I also want to point out that we uh, we are sort of drawn to that gravitational pull of when leadership goes really wrong, and that tends to be the thing that goes in the newspapers. And, uh, you know, we probably think of that when, when the pastor had an affair or wh- when money disappeared. I mean, these are things that might be the first things that come to mind. But I just want to remind you here of, the, of our context. Look uh, at the end of verse 17, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, remember how much of the previous conversation of this book was revolving around those who taught things in error, those who Paul pointed out uh, whose lives did not have uh, exhibit the kind of morality uh, that one would expect from a Christian, that their character didn't match their teaching, and how they expected the congregation to uh, essentially Keep in mind things that Paul argued very strongly weren't applicable for scripture uh, for Christians. That I think here is relevant as we look to this idea of accepting evidence, the idea of accusation, because fundamentally, Paul may be speaking to a community where there are a lot of accusations and they have to sort through which accusation of what teaching is true or false. Uh, is actually right that they're trying to you know sift through to to get to the good. If that's the case, then it makes sense to us um, that you're going to need uh, to have a, a number of people in that conversation. Of course, some of them need to be people of wisdom. I, I think behind what may be those first things that we think of when leadership goes wrong because they're big and they make the news. There are. The, the also important accusations of, hey, I, I don't think that that was a thoughtful statement, or I, I don't think that that is bore out in Scripture, or, uh, you know, th- those other things that churches find themselves doing, and, and the point that that should be a communal work, it shouldn't be done um, in secret with no one participating. I think that's that remains wise, and largely, um, I, I think it is the spirit behind much of the rules that still exist, though, like I said, or like you said, Clint, um, I, I don't think many are going to, many churches or leadership structures are going to count this as a full policy of what to do, um, but it's certainly the spirit that would be behind all of those. Yeah, I, I do think it ties, you know, it's remarkably modern in its own way, unfortunately, because the reality then as now is that leaders don't always get it right. In fact, so much is that assumption uh, true that Paul continues here in verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, and, and those here is almost certainly a reference to leaders. This isn't just a general you, – you could read this, if you take this verse out of context, you could read it to say, anybody who persists in sin, rebuke them. I don't think that's actually what it means. I think it's tied specifically to what we've been reading. As for any leaders who persist in sin, in other words, if the two or three witnesses have testified, if it's proven that there's wrongdoing, if it's clear that a leader is out of bounds and they won't repent, they persist in sin. Um, Remember, the word sin means missing the mark. They keep missing the mark. Then rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. And fear is a harsh word there, but I think what we're talking about is what we would call accountability. 
hold them accountable, and do it publicly. It's very interesting, Michael, how wise I think this is, even in keeping with our own policies in the 21st century. That What does a congregation need to know? A congregation needs to know that there's a fair policy and that it's implemented. And when someone has broken it, they are held accountable. And it doesn't need to be public in the sense that you smear it all over everything and you share dirty laundry, but a congregation does need to be aware that an issue has come up, it's being addressed, and that the person who is in the wrong is being held accountable. And I I think, you know, this is a verse that could be easily taken too far, I suppose. Maybe it could be misread. But I think behind it is really some some sound practice um, that helps a church by letting the church know that even leaders are held accountable. And if they insist, then they're held accountable publicly. And I, I I, I think there's, I, I don't know, I, I find it very interesting, and I think there's some good stuff there. I, I just want to sort of point out uh, where we've been here today, because we've not gone very far in terms of the number of verses. If you see where we started in 17 and then where we end here at verse 20, um, what I think is noticeable, Clint, is both the affirmation of the importance of good leadership combined with the recognition of when that leadership mm. will inevitably go wrong. That is the kind of thing that Paul does, I think, probably instinctively. I, you know, I certainly um, haven't known him, but as you read the writings that we have here in the New Testament, Paul seems to be very uh, realistic. He lives in the real world and he can transition almost on a dime like we've seen today from the importance of encouragement and the importance of good leadership in the midst of a congregation to the reality of what should happen when that when there is leadership who is um, causing destruction that that needs to be called out, and you know that Clint I think does help us to see uh, that that the Christian life requires wisdom, and it's interesting when there are matters of civic life in the church when when there are communal matters that need dealt with the spirit of how it's handled. The wisdom of those who uh, recognize when's the time to speak, when's the time to listen, you know, these are things that I think are really, really intangible, but when in practice, they're essential. And so I think we even see here in our scriptures a recognition of that. And, uh, you know, whether or not you consider yourself a church leader, you know, maybe there's a temptation to think, oh, this is all about them, whoever you might think them is. I, I think this may not be directed uh, at every Christian, as as you mentioned in verse 20, Clint. I, I do think there's a sense, though, in which the Christian community does have a part to play in setting and holding the standard of leadership at every level, whatever whether that be a volunteer teacher or whether that be uh, an elder or a deacon or whether that be a paid staff person or a pastor, what, whatever it is, we as a church are called to, to together really in flesh or, or model or live out our deepest character. Our, our, and once again, this is a a kind of um, antidote to hypocrisy. And I think that it should be lived out structurally. And, you know, that's a reminder to all of us that we make up the structure together as a church family. So to whatever extent 
we have a part and voice in that, we should we should use it. Yeah, I don't know to what extent people are interested in the early church as a rule, but I, I think it's fascinating to think that the, the Christian church at the point of this letter is either literally years in the making or perhaps even a decade or more, but it is brand new. And in this letter, we have instructions about unappreciated leaders, false witnesses, sinful leaders who refuse to repent. You know, and that's in four verses. Um, we, we often maybe think that the troubles we see in our evolution of the church are new. And it, it turns out that the church community, the people of Jesus were navigating some of these challenges really right from the jump, just at the very beginning. And as a person who's going to be face to face with them, Timothy is getting this advice from Paul. And um, there's just a, a wonderful sort of mentorship relation in that. And I think, again, I, I don't want to oversell Paul, but as a person who works in a church, every time Paul says these things, I, I feel like he nails it. I feel like he has deep insight into our brokenness as humans, the challenges of being church, the the, the needs and issues of leaders and people. And I, I just hear a ton of wisdom, and I hope that Timothy— was encouraged and strengthened by these because I, these are certainly, I, I think at you know midpoint in my career, I recognize a depth in these words and the wisdom in these words that I'm not sure I did at the beginning of my time in ministry. I don't think any of us would want to probably be in Timothy's shoes that he needs to be sure. told there may be a time to hold leaders accountable in public. I don't think that there's any person for whom that would be their preferred instruction. Um, and so the fact that Paul was compelled to write this, I think that unto itself does remind us that uh, the early church had bumps that needed navigated, and it, it it had leaders who needed held to account, and someone needed to do that, that work. And so uh, to whatever extent that's our experience today, wherever we are uh, in our own present communities, church communities life, I mean, I think the the reality is we continue to try to be faithful as they tried to be faithful. And the the text that is ancient, thousands of years old, remains incredibly prescient and contemporary as all scripture is. Yeah, hope you can join us tomorrow. We're gonna get some a little bit more personal instruction for Timothy as an individual. Um, some very interesting places that Paul chooses to go in that. And so hope you can join us as we talk it through. Mm-hmm.